Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thank you for listening. Thanks for continuing to listen. Um, I hope you've been enjoying this past like month of episodes. I know I really enjoyed recording them. Um, I always found these conversations really inspiring and informative. And today's episode is no exception. Um, it's always so nice when I get to talk to folks behind a show that I really love and also watched recently, which was the case with today's episode with the creators and star of Somebody Somewhere, which is a, such a good show uh, over on Max um, that I would urge you to check out. It's a really quiet show, but it is a emotionally affecting show. It is also a really funny show. Um, so I was thrilled to talk to the folks behind it. Um, if you like what we do here, if you give a damn about the writer's panel um, and the interviews that I bring you at all, please consider becoming a paid subscriber over at benblacker.substack.com. Um, the show, you know, is some amount of work, and that's on top of my, my regular job. So, um, you know, every little bit really helps. And, and it's nice to know that folks appreciate the work I'm doing and uh, the show itself. That's benblacker.substack.com. If you become a paid subscriber, uh, you'll get updates about the episodes. You'll also um, be able to enjoy our monthly Zoom Q&As. Show up, ask your questions of professional writers. We had so many terrific writers on most recently. Um, Marion Dare, who is the showrunner of Marvel's Echo. Um, we've got a whole bunch coming up um, this year. Great folks from shows that you love. Um, they're always really cool conversations and, and really inspiring. So go over to benblacker.substack.com, become a paid subscriber, join us for those Q&As, and show some support for the Writers Panel podcast. As I said, today's episode is another good one. Um, thanks so much to the folks behind Somebody Somewhere. Uh, it was such a, a delight to talk to them. And if you haven't seen the show, go check it out. Um, there are no spoilers in this per se, um, because it is it is that kind of show. But you will enjoy it. Um, I promise. That's your money back guarantee. I mean, I'm promising on behalf of HBO Max that they will give you your money back if you don't enjoy it. That's binding. Thanks so much for listening. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Uh, thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm such a fan of you all and of the show, so I'm thrilled to chat with you. What I'm going to do first is ask you to introduce yourselves on your microphone so the listener knows who you are and what your voice sounds like. Uh, tell us your name and you know where we've seen your name, not just on uh, Somebody Somewhere, but elsewhere in your careers. And Hannah, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Hannah Boss, and you might know my name from um, plays of the Debate Society or uh, writing on High Maintenance or Mozart in the Jungle or from our screenplay that Paul and I wrote, uh, Driveways. Which feels like a good segue to Paul. 
Yeah, so everything I say is the exact same for my writing partner and best friend, Hannah Boss. So you probably know me from the same things that you know her from. We're an ampersand. <laughs> and, and you two are the creators of Somebody Somewhere. And Bridget, of course, is the star. Um, but Bridget, where have we seen you before? Let the folks know. So I'm Bridget um, Everett. <laughs> um, I, well, you might have seen me at Joe's Pub. I'm a cabaret singer. Um, I've been in... I did a movie called Patty Cakes. I've done, uh, I was in a, a limited series called Unbelievable. I was in the Sex in the City movie, Trainwreck. You know, I pop up here and there. Great. Um, so the first thing I want to ask, and, and I wanted to ask you all this, from like the time I saw the pilot uh, last year, or two years ago, I guess at this point. How do you get a show like this on the Why don't you start it? I mean, everything sort of starts with Bridget. So yeah. Well, um, I had a deal with HBO. They came and saw me do a show at Largo in LA and um, Casey Bloys and Amy Gravitt. And short story long, I had that little holding deal. And then they asked me, you know, who I'd want to work with. And I, I happen to know Carolyn Strauss. So I gave her a call and um, she suggested that we reach out to Paul and Hannah. And then, um, you know, we saw, we just like, well, what, what do you guys think? And they came up with this idea. Yeah. And uh, we were longtime fans of Bridget's. You know, we came from the downtown theater world with our theater company. We were writing plays for many years. And um, there was like a little bit of overlap with some like really nice people at Ars Nova and Jason. And there was, you know, we, we were we saw Bridget um, at Joe's Pub and around the theater where, where theater and um, sort of live performance overlap. And we also... Um, sort of backing it up, we, Paul and I um, wrote theater for many years for ourselves. We were performers, actor, writers, and then we started writing things for our friends. Um, and then also we would just sort of see things in our friends that we wanted to highlight. We'd write a play sort of based around something that maybe people didn't see that aspect of them. So we sort of were always like writing for a person and writing for ourselves is always sort of our our thing and so when we first made our we always were best friends and we lived together and roommates and we interrupt each other all the time so um and we were working in the same honky tonk restaurant a lot of overlaps of the new york world you know with bridget's uh life a little bit but the first tv thing that we had done was with carolyn strauss um who helped us develop a pilot and and i think that since we were from the midwest and i think her sort of loving bridget and them wanting to make something with her um, and Bridget being from Kansas, I think that's when they were looking for writers. I think that's why Carolyn sort of thought of us. And so having the opportunity to to dream up what would be our dream show for Bridget and work with Carolyn Strauss and HBO was sort of a dream. And then the fact that we shot the pilot and then got the green light right before COVID. So I think we sort of had more time than usual to sort of develop the show and flesh it out together. So the three of us and Carolyn sort of like and and. Uh, Patty Breen, our other writer, the first season sort of really had extra time to sort of really sort of see what worked from the from the pilot, but really sort of really, really go go really deep. And we have no idea how we were allowed to do it. We still think we're getting away with murder, having the show on the air just because it's so unique and its own vibe and we get to sort of make it the way we we want. That's, I mean, it's really remarkable. It really feels like you all are making the sh exactly the show that you want to make. I want to talk about that the conversations uh, early on in that that collaborative process, um, I think probably a good place to start is to talk about debate society 
for a minute and and talk about the collaborations that you guys did there and then how you bring that to brought that to conversations with Bridget and and the team. Um sure. Yeah, I'm, so we come from this theater background and um we didn't know anyone with any money and we would sort of raise our own money and self-produce. So I think sort of that homespun background of sort of being in New York and making things ourselves I think was actually really great for translating into the way we make our show. I feel like we do a lot of creative so problem solving that I wouldn't think that the collaboratively working in the theater world would translate so great in TV, but it's like an extra bonus of just learning how to collaborate with people on your feet, making cuts in the moment as we make this show. Like it's really, it, and I should just preface by saying, you know, we make this show with Bridget. She we are so she is so involved in every moment. So when we're on set, she's behind the camera. We're working on a script we might have all written together. We're also able, I think maybe because we come from sort of this scrappy background in a way, we're able to sort of have this inside and outside view and know how to cut something quickly or adjust in the moment, thinking about all the different like 360 view of how this might work. So I think that coming from live performance bizarrely works well in this TV world. So the theater background has been super um, useful. Also just collaboratively, like we have, you know, Murray Hill on this show and Jeff Hiller and all these people who also have a lot of improv and live show backgrounds. There is sort of this wonderful connection. We have these like incredible performers that are able to like work really fast with a very low budget um, and make something that looks really special without actually compromising anything that we want to get done. I think we also, when we started working together, Hen and I, we sort of figured out, we started working in college and we sort of figured out our own way of working. And I think it was very intuitive and we didn't really understand it until later, which I think is the way it works for a lot of people. And I think that a lot of our plays, we'd sort of create these big worlds over a really long period of time. But I think our storytelling was often more sort of like an accumulation of details and moments that you didn't realize the story was happening. And we really sort of like to bury the structure. And we knew that we wanted to sort of do it in a way that wasn't a fuck you to the audience that made the audience lean in. And we wanted every moment to be like beautiful or funny or weird. And then at the end, you're like, oh my God, I don't know why this is moving or hiding the fact that there's a structure, hiding sort of the the hand of the of the author. And I think that we did the, the same thing then sort of when we came together for this show that we were sort of like intuitively creating what we thought we wanted it to be. And when you're working with HBO and somebody like Carolyn Strauss, who are so smart and experienced, I think that gave us a little bit of confidence to say, this is the show we want to make. We don't know if it's a TV show. It is very much that we will take a real moment over a story beat sometimes and sort of, you know, art imitating life. Sometimes the like, are we worthy? Is this good enough? Is this a show? But having the support to make the show that we wanted to make, I think that we found sort of a common language with Bridget, where Carolyn is the one who put the word for it, that this show really happens in the cracks, that I think the show does work different than most shows. And I think it's something that the three of us really loved, sort of these, these real moments, these authentic moments, these funny and weird moments, and these characters that often sometimes you don't see that often on TV or don't seem worthy of having stories telling about being told about them. We sort of like focus on those people and those, those moments. Does that sound right, Bridget? Mm -hmm. Well done. <laughs> I want to come, I want to come back to some of that. Um, but Bridget, I also want to talk about like the jumping off point for this is autobiographical. 
And there are aspects of your life in this. And so like, tell me a little bit about like the conversations that you guys had about what to mine, what to invent, what, you know, what is yours and, and what can be everywhere? Well, yeah, I, I think it's like, you know, the themes of the show are autobiographical. You know, I have his assistants passed away. Certainly like the relationship with music and singing is autobiographical. But what I found what worked best, at least for me, like when we were in the room, is like anything that felt kind of close to the bone. Um, just because, you know, I'm, this is my first time ever writing on a TV show. This is my first time being number one on the call sheet. And I really wanted to make, to give myself selfishly the best opportunity to succeed. And so talking about things, your themes that felt familiar was really helpful. Um, but there's a lot about Sam that is sort of grown beyond what Bridget is, you know, and, and, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of differences, but what I, what I like about, you know, I, I think that we have a really comfortable, safe writing room. It's small, it's intimate. Um, I feel, I, I feel um, cared for and protected and like, I can trust the people that are in the room. So sometimes we just start talking and, and I'll, say something that seems very personal and I'll, you know, get emotional and we know that that's right for our show. Um, and then how we do it obviously is, you know, like, you know, that's the challenge sometimes of how to like really lay that feeling in without sometimes hammering it over the head. For instance, like in season two, I don't want to, I don't know if I don't want to skip ahead of anything you're trying to go for, but season two is out. Let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But there's stuff with a, a voice teacher that we put in the script that felt, really specific and personal and and just to like I was like I've you know one thing that Carolyn said when we were working on season two is like we have this we, we use the word cutie a lot and she's like you know you don't want to lean into the cutie you don't want to lean into the thing that made you successful you want to sort of don't let that be a crutch so when we started doing season two and some of the things we were talking about I was pretty nervous because I thought well what worked in season one isn't maybe going to be in season two and the stuff with the singer, like, you know, voice teacher, like, are people going to even give a shit, you know, like, and, and um, I think it just comes down to like the same thing. I feel like on stage, the same thing I feel about anything. You just sort of have to do you, you know, do your thing, what feels right to you and then hope that it has a more global, um, you know, that people can globally see, even though it feels specific. And, you know, oddly enough, like the things that I love are often very specific, you know, and that don't necessarily apply to me, but they're like, they hit like a nerve, but it doesn't mean, but it feels different when it's your heart on the line and your experiences on the line and your words on the line. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear more about the writer's room. Um, and like, it's, it's potentially a tough thing to find, you know, seven half hour stories made up of these small moments, right? And and create discrete episodes out of that. So tell me about how the room works and and uh, how like story breaks go. Yeah, I mean, we, like I said, that first writer's room happened on Zoom and sort of that's been, the, you know, we've, this show sort of existed in the COVID world. So our rooms have always been on Zoom. Um, our first year, like I said, we had Patty Breen. Our second year, we had Rachel Axler and Lisa Crone. And then this last year, we had Lennon Parm and Lisa Crone. So it's always been sort of the three of us, Carolyn, and then one or two other writers. And, you know, we sort of, 
we call it the four top, the, the three of us and Carolyn sort of have, you know, we sort of never stop talking about ideas and figuring out moments. And so I think that we're always sort of collecting these things. And Hannah and I will sort of collect a, a you know, a Google doc and record stuff, all the conversations, because especially when it's talking about music or Kansas or something specific, Bridget will sometimes just offhandedly say something that's like such pure gold or something that's so perfect. And so a lot of it is sort of like, like I talked about early plays that it's collecting a lot of moments, but I think we do want to make sure that there's, that there's, that there's drive, even though we sort of really try to bury it. And, and again, Carolyn Strauss being sort of one of the most brilliant minds in TV, she, you know, she's a, the perfect sort of like sounding board for like helping us figure out what's, what's missing. And so, you know, I, I think we come in with sort of an agenda, the things that we want to talk about, we do sort of our best version of a, of a virtual wall where we're, you know, so we can still sort of capture these moments and move. We use Miro. <laughs> we haven't found anything that's better, but just sort of like wrestling with the technical issues of breaking story virtually has been a big thing for us. And it was a big challenge, sort of like how we make sure that we're remembering all these things, how we're sort of calibrating these things. And, you know, every everything about the way this show works is sort of non-traditional. Paul and I were in high maintenance room, Mozart in the jungle room, other rooms, every room we've ever been in has been non-traditional. So I actually don't know what like a traditional writing room is. We were supposed to start our room like March 12th, 2020 in LA, and then everything changed. <laughs> and then um, we've only existed sort of in this world of Zoom room. And I would say like, it, for some reason, it's extremely intimate and it feels really safe. And it feels really nice and it's just what we've done, but we do it virtually just the way a regular room would work. We just don't have snacks that we are provided. We eat our own. Um, but again, in the way that things are structured, you know, luckily the things that we lean away from are things that are sort of uh, traditional structured television shows. You know, if it, we always say like, if it feels like a TV show, we usually take that out. If some character comes in, you know, on a storyboard and their only function is to drive the story and then they pop out, that's usually not the way that our, uh, we break things. It's usually has to do with Sam's character first and then also Joel. And we're sort of always, there's like, it's almost like when you mix a song, there's always like levels of storytelling or telling. And then there's always levels of drive and there's always levels of emotional sort of drives of Sam and Joel and other people also this also Mary Catherine the sister uh Trisha is also like a big part of this world we're always sort of tapping into how the characters how their stories are taking us through an episode but really it always starts with Sam and her connection to music and what's inside her because it's, it's not a story it's not a there's aren't there aren't giant plot twists it's really a, a, it's an accumulation of small things but to us they're a really big deal because they all sort of really matter it's also sort of like the, the change character change at the speed of life, which sort of, you know, so it's like, like Bridget said about the the voice teacher, we sort of like connected the dots of that voice teacher and how it connects to the story of her mom in the second season and how it connects to her opening up to, to, to love in a way. And to us, those are like big, huge moves for this character. And, you know, but that whole arc can stretch over, over the, over the season. And so it's sort of, figuring out, as Hannah said, the levels of that and and sort of how that growth and the back steps through, through Sam's lens. I think we start there and we make sure we can nail that down. Yeah, I'll say like there's there's a minimizing way to talk about the show, which is to talk about it as 
small moments. But like in watching that second season again, you feel the momentum of the Sam and Joel break, you know, and and it's heartbreaking to watch like that's inevitably coming. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about like formulating the second season, coming in with an agenda, but being open to changes on the fly and sort of regulating that that story leading to that emotional moment. And I actually want to start with that, you know, the fight in in the penultimate episode. And Bridget, talk to you about that and like finding the truth in both the performance and and in the script of of that argument between them or the confrontation between them. Well, you know, I think one of the the I'm gonna try to do my best to answer this, but the, you know, I think one of the the things I love about this show is that it's like uh, the two adults finding each other later in life and sort of falling in love with each other in a non-sexual way. And, and how Joel is kind of like a gateway for Sam and she's, she doesn't really have an allowance starting in season two for him to sort of be spreading that love other places. Cause she feels like she's going to lose it, you know? And I, and you know, we talked about it in the room and I thought, it, I thought it was a great idea to have, them to have that fissure happen because it's it's she loves him right but she is afraid of um being without him you know and and he's patient and loving and only only the two of them could find their way back to each other like you know what i mean like in that that like joel is like he's gonna have uh, uh, some um, allowance for Sam. You know what I mean? He's going to understand where she is. He's going to understand her heartbreak and, and whatever. And, and she is going to need him. So she is going to work to come back to him. You know, so I, I think that um, it's painful to watch. It was, you know, upsetting to do. You know, Jeff thought I was really mad at him because <laughs> um, he's so tenderhearted. But you know, I, and I and I've had a, a friendship like that when I'm older, and I'm I know I'm not you know the only one. It's like you you when you have friendships when you get older, they can be kind of you know things feel heavy in a different way, you know. And so anyway, you it didn't want to. We had to find a way to do it where it wasn't like Joel was being an asshole and Sam was being unreasonable. It's just the way that life happens sometimes and how you knock up against each other and how you find your way back. So it definitely was a real slow rollout of that, you know, but again, like what, what Paul said, it sort of is in concert with the, the way we do the show, you know, with the change, you know, at the speed of life, it, it, we really like to sort of, for me, when I'm watching a TV show and things are happening like so fast, I have to constantly go back. I have to like what I miss, you know, like I don't, I, I like that our show sort of takes the time to kind of let it just sort of breathe and go at its own pace. This is such so much a show, especially the second season is such a show about friendship and, you know, friendship among adults with these very nuanced and and complicated characters. You know, by the time you are, you know, our age, you're sort of fully formed. But this is about people who are changing. Paul and Hannah, you two have been friends for a, a long time. <laughs> Let's talk about that thematic element and and digging into friendship uh, that has changed over time. Are you, are you like how aware are you of you writing about yourselves as well as writing about Bridget's life? Um, 
it's very fun in the room to have hypothetical conversations about best friends fighting when you're in the room with a best friend. Um, you know, Paul and I do have a really long history. We've been writing for a long time. We luckily know how to fight really well because I think of our early days of fighting badly where we used to like have our egos in it. Now we're just old and we fight now more about ideas versus uh, <laughs> the actual heartbreaking egos that we have inside. We've sort of removed that. But um, I think it's really useful to have all this shared history when we're talking about these characters because, you know, Bridget also has these these very personal relationships that we 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 sift out stuff from our real lives and we can sort of <laughs> write the dialogue that sometimes comes from moments in our in our past um yeah it's useful <laughs> i think it's such important it's such important there's such important relationships these type of friend relationships and i think also sibling relationships also that you know that part of this is also i think we always from the start knew that the core love story of this would be sam and joel and you know hannah and i who are both like married to other people and and who and then great relationships but this is like a you know a through line of our lives is what we've built and what we do together and we we think of that all the time i mean even before we got on with you we were thinking back to like our first tv writing gig in 2012 when we'd get an assignment to like write a beat sheet and we're like I don't know what how to do that. So we would go back to your podcast. This is for real and find like the ones that were about like developing a pilot and stuff. And we'd like listen and be like how and just like glean that and just thinking of like we've built this life together and this important relationship. And I think a lot of people have those relationships and sort of being able to to sort of start with with a friendship love story, which we know very well and sort of, you know, all of us sort of putting all of our hearts into it. And then when it comes to moments of con conflict drawing on our own lives so it doesn't feel like generated drama for the sake of that's what you have to do in a tv show is these two people have to fight with each other but we like care about these characters so much and love them so much and try to make them so real that if it feels forced the whole show falls apart so like bridget said where it's not anybody's fault but we understand that this is what sam's response is going to be to joel and she can't help herself and you just feel that moment and it's awful but then you you move through it and you figure out how to how to how to grow from that, even though there's sort of some some backstepping. And I think it feels very real to us and very drawn from sort of core important relationships in our lives. And I haven't really thought about this, but it's actually really fun and useful and helpful to be sort of studying these grown-ups who are actually changing for the better. Like, you know how people are always like you kind of we're we're all saying that you're sort of established as you are at these ages, but like we are showing people slowly change and affect each other. And like that's beautiful. To me, now that I think about it, patting patting our own selves on our backs. I'm just th saying that, like, you know, it is fun, even though there's slow growth. But people are changing. You know, it's it's fun to sort of, um, <laughs> even in the most agony moments of of some of these characters doing embarrassing negative things, people are still going through these journeys, and 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 uh, yeah, it's fun to sort of studying it on our own mistakes, basically. There, there, it seems like there's. That suggests to me like a question of self-awareness for these characters. And like, <laughs> you know, you all in creating Sam have the big picture, right? You know what makes this character tick. But Sam herself can't have that kind of deep self-awareness because she has to go on this journey of discovery, this self-growth. Um, I'm curious to hear about like when 
giving her the tools to grow and and when to show that she's learning and and becoming self-aware in a way I, th- I think it just sort of feels you feel it you know what i mean like i feel like sam is like one of the the things that i think is interesting that sort of in retrospect is like trisha's growth you know the sister play of mary Catherine, is much faster and more she's more sort of willing to go with the wind and you know and same with joel but sam is like uh she's a she's a what do you call the big ships in the ocean? You know, big tanker, whatever. I don't know, like an emotional sort of steam. And, you know, she's, she, it's just slower for her. And so I think it's kind of, you know, she's trying, like she's trying, she's trying. It's like, uh, like I feel it like in the script, like when I was like, I feel like when Sam needs to, when she's hitting a, a moment, you know, I, I think that we, and we all sort of keep each, you know, keep the characters in check that way. Like, well, you know, you know, is, you know, is Sam going to like, you know, for instance, uh, you know, I don't know spoilers, but there's this, you know, once that there's a makeup, you know, and then like, does Sam just sort of jump back in and like, you know, or, you know, everything's perfect. And that's not really how life works. And that's not how Sam works. Like she's trying, she's there um, present, but she is going to have to do it at her own pace. And the people around her kind of like give her the sort of a uh, buffer to do that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to sort of pace out the change in other people. Cause Trisha, you know, the pilot is like, uh, love the sin or hate the sin, you know, and, 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 you know, by the end of season two, she's, she's grown a lot, but um, you also want to like keep people identifiable, like they're to who they are. And so we really try to stick to that, you know, like, knowing who they are and what their ability is to grow, what their ability is to change, what their ability is to love and how they love and all those things. And then how they fit together. That's, I guess that's the fun of it. I call it fun now, but in the, in the, in, in the moment, it's like, you know, I'm like, like six o'clock in the morning, just, uh, and, you know, or I can't sleep or something. You're know, just thinking about it. But, um, you know, Bridget's saying that like, there's parts of this that are autobiographical to her, but, Sam isn't Bridget. And in the room, we're never like you. We're always, we always say Sam and Bridget does, Bridget does the same thing, you know, but there is something about Bridget being able to live with the character and and to be able to sort of, to, to feel it. And like she said, it'll be like thinking about it all the time. And we'll get a phone call in the morning, the things that she's been thinking of. of. And I think, I think we really do rely on her to sort of like she just has this this feeling of like what's too much and what isn't and i think we're drawing from person we're all drawing from personal things from our lives about like how to make this more real and how to how to really thread that needle and also you know like like paul and hannah are very close carolyn and i are really close too you know like you know we're all we're all you know close friends but i'm you know but carolyn and i have like a you know we talk every day and we you know we have a very good friendship and and i feel like she has it's the the double the double benefit of having somebody that knows you intimately and that knows TV intimately and that and it's like a triple it's a triple prong um, triple pronger um, and the third prong is that she cares deeply about this show I think it's like it's a it's a you know a labor of love for her she's not making those Game of Thrones dollars on this or those last of those <laughs> dollars she you know so she she really puts a lot of care and thinks about it and and you know is the godmother of our show. I don't know who came up with that, but that's, but that's really, 
the truth and sort of, and her knowing when to like push us to go deeper, to push us to make, you know, this, you know, something's missing between this moment with Sam and Joel and like really challenging us all to kind of dig a little deeper. And then also sort of respecting when we're like, I I think this is right. We got to keep it, you know, like it's, it's really special and very empowering to, to work with somebody that's that smart and accomplished that treats us as equals. And, you know, and, and I, I think that this is probably the best experience of my life and I, I don't ever want it to end, but you know, just, just trying to, trying to, I think that that's also probably what's made her so successful, you know, is that she is, she knows when to sort of give and take and what to, you know, what to ask of people and all that. So. And I want to ask, I, I happened to talk to one of the last of us uh, writers yesterday who was saying like the feedback from HBO is also good. You know, like the notes they get are so easy and make the show better. I'd love to hear about notes that you guys get both from HBO, but also from Carolyn. Like, how does she push you or give me specific examples, especially, you know, in, in season two, where like you've been pushed to make it better or change something? Well, I, oh, I have an example. Like there's when the fight with Sam and Joel, like, you know, that we're like sort of trying to get deeper and we're, you know, it's always like go deeper. Like, you know, she's like, we got to get underneath the hood, you know, you got to go deeper and really thinking about those things and like, and what, what is it that's missing? And like, there was like, you know, and like, there's like a, a moment where Sam's like, I just don't want you to leave me, you know? And that was like, I was like, I felt like that that was too on the nose. Right. And she's like, but that's what it is. And so sometimes like knowing like, because we don't ever want to be too heavy handed with something, but also like knowing when like the direct thing is the right thing. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then also with, with HBL, I'll just sort of say Amy, because she's been with us for all three seasons and she's, and she's also, I feel like this is a late, you know, you know, obviously it's an HBO show, but she loves it. And she really puts a lot of care and, and, you know, there was another character in season one, wasn't it? Right. Like Joel's mom or something. And like, we were getting ready to shoot and she's like, you know, and we had a great actress for it. And it was like, it was, we were like psyched and like, it was, you know, and then Amy's like, I think that we should lose the mom. We're like, okay, just in this scene or no, I think in this episode. Okay. Just this episode. I think we should lose the mom. We're like, ah, because we're so close to shooting, but she was absolutely right. Like that is a bigger note. It's a bigger thing that happened, but, but I never feel like the notes from HBO are burdensome or, or if that's right, use that word. I, I just feel like they are, they're almost all, I mean, we'll fight back on some things or, or stick, you know, say we really want something, but, and they're respectful of that. But I, I think that they also understand the show and they also have a lot of care and it's also nice to have their eyes on it you know, to, to like where we, we just rewrote an episode that we handed back in that they wanted to do. Uh, you know, I don't want to say what it is because it's a little bit of a spoiler, but it was, we're like, okay. And then once we did it, it gave everything a little more depth and meaning and helped actually bring some of the depth to the surface. I thought. They're really good notes. Yeah. And I would say they're just really good notes. And I can't believe we're in a situation with my favorite place I want to work where the notes are like, be yourself, be
be more yourself, which actually Carolyn also was encouraging us from day one to do. And I feel like at the beginning of making this show, um, you know, there were moments where in that first year we had this extra time. And I think that we thought there were things we needed to do to make a TV show. And there were plot things that we had in there. And I think there were things that we thought we needed to do. And anytime we did that, you know, HBO and Carolyn were sort of encouraging us to lean away from those things. And those are the things that actually ended up on the cutting room floor. Those, those are the things that smelled like a TV show. And the things that we loved were the weirder things that were actually more unique and more the show. Especially the first season where in the pilot, there's this moment where Sam leaves the grocery store and she's trying to get in her truck and it won't open. And then she realizes that her blue truck is the one next to the blue truck that she's trying to get into. And that was a vocabulary right away that Amy Gravel was like, she called the blue truck moment, you know, and it's it's something that doesn't drive the plot, but it just sort of exists in this world and is very real. And so that, especially that first season, she was like, I want more blue truck moments, you know, and it sort of gave us the freedom to be able to like, to sort of like find those moments that we really loved and put the things that that felt like us into the show. And I think that this, you know, we're all Midwesterners and I feel like to make a show, there's a lot of uh, pressure to sort of represent, especially for Bridget, her hometown, like especially for Bridget. But just telling a story about where you're from, you can sort of sink or swim. And I feel like they really encouraged us to not go in the direction of a wink in the eye or uh, making fun of anyone in this world. So that without having that pressure to find comedy from making fun of Midwesterners, to actually celebrate them and to celebrate it, things on such a level where we like, we love just pictures of the land in this world. We love close-ups and details of the Midwest that are just uniquely the Midwest. And to have, to have to, the opportunity to lean into those moments and to take time with it, I think you really get to celebrate uh, these flyover states, you know? I think that we we just really quickly wanted to mention that, you know, we lost Mike Haggerty, who played Ed, Sam's dad, right before season two. And he was, he loved the show. Like you said, just sort of like everybody wanting to be there and caring so much. And he was really part of that. And I think us, especially that first season, he just loved the show and loved Bridget. And he just made us feel safe on set. And I think that, we, so we wrote to him. I mean, we wrote for him a lot for the second season. We really expanded that role. And, and, he passed away, at, you know, as we were doing table reads uh, just two weeks before we were supposed to go into production. And so we had to sort of reconceive the season. And and I think HBO and Amy uh, and all the executives are so involved and cared so much and knew how important he was to us. And they really sort of we had a, you know, a very small amount of time that we could push. But still, they were so supportive of us there. And Amy called each of us to just sort of just to check in on us and tell us that they were there for anything. And I think that we really felt especially in that time, I think we really felt supported by them in a really special way that just we're, you know, forever, forever grateful for. That's great to hear. And and he really is like, he's so remarkable in that first season. And it's, you know, you've seen him for 40 years on television and film and all different kinds of roles. And it was really nice to see him really live in this role for, for those, those episodes. Um, I want to ask a few things specifically about season two, um, just things that sort of popped into my head as I was rewatching in anticipation for today. Um, does this season, uh, is season two filthier than season one or is it just me? Well, I, I think, yeah, I think, but I, but I do, but I also think like it's also <laughs> goes to that thing that, you know, HBO and Carolyn said they like wanted more of us, more of me, more of, you know, and as Sam, that's who Sam is, you know? 
And so it comes out a little bit more. And um, yeah, no shame in that, you know, where sometimes, we're, <laughs> yeah, it, it, we don't ever want it to feel like forced, but um, I think that's, <laughs> it, it feels natural. You know, just, it's just how some people are, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels like she's more comfortable in this world in the second season. So she's letting herself be herself a little bit more. Um, listen, it's a joy. I wanted to ask, this is not a show that does jokes, but the charity cases joke is such a fucking great joke. Yeah, that was Rachel Axler. So funny. We're just like, well, we got we to gotta figure out how to keep the charity cases. <laughs> At what point during season one do you start talking about season two? At what point does the story for season two start to present itself, you know, as far as the pieces of it, you know, the voice teacher and the relationship with Joel um, and and stuff to do with Sam's mother and then moving Trisha's storyline. Like all those things felt so natural and such an extension of one. But when do you start talking about that stuff and sort of, other than, you know, losing Mike, like what surprised you about that second season? I think I was surprised that it worked. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, because the, just because the, the Mike thing was such a huge, huge, I mean, it was a big impact on our story and impact emotionally a big, you know, and it wasn't even anything that we had time to kind of, necessarily grieve like it was just like sort of okay you know so that and I and I started to worry you know that just without him he brought season one such like an emotional like a tenderness and a warmth and a he just had a resonance about him that I was worried not having that like what would it be like and then also what would it like I felt like the connection between Sam and her dad was really special and showed like a different side of her and how to still get that with, you know, just like, you know, so there was a lot of it that was hard, but for me, just the fact that it uh, all came together and, you know, it's just like season one, when we did it, I was just like filming it and like doing each scene, everything moves very quickly. Cause it's a, it's a low budget situation and just really trusting each other. Did we get it? We got it. We sure. Okay, let's go. And then just sort of, hopping onto the next thing, going all, you know, cross-boarding, like, you know, doing stuff from six and three and two all in one day, you know, just like really sort of not knowing what you're doing. So it felt good that it worked and it felt good that the voice teacher stuff paid off because as I said previously, I didn't think it, I was worried. <laughs> yeah. I think that the voice teacher and, and then Joel's love interest of Brad in the second season, I think that no one can make up for, for Mike, but it's sort of like, I think the two of them in particular brought sort of a warmth to the show that was really good. And then I also think in the second season, for me, the evolution of the sister relationship is very moving. You, We talked about the Sam and Joel fight, but I think the Sam and Trisha fight to me is such a gut punch and just, I think an incredible, I think they're both so amazing in that scene. And I think that we, you know, as far as the developing it, I think that we were just sort of all holding on for dear life, shooting during COVID, shooting our first season of a big show that was so personal to all of us. And I think the way we are, we don't trust that anything is going to happen. Like, I think we were like, until we're sitting in front of the TV and that static HBO logo comes up, we're not going to believe it's really going to happen. So I think that, I think that we were dreaming on it, but we didn't quite dare, dare dream. So I think when we were in post for the first season, 
that's when they sort of we started sort of talking just potentially about what a second season would do because we had to do you know a mini room before we got the green light for the second season so i think we were sort of all individually sort of kicking some ideas around but i think we didn't dare let ourselves go there until we knew it was actually going to be on tv and i i also want to say that like we already have ideas for season four and i think we work on the show i know we work on the show every day we're constantly thinking in all different directions of this show so i feel like um the show is so much in us and we're like in these zooms all the time. We are also in these editing mo uh, in our sessions all together. So I feel like from season one to season two, we learned so much editing the show to together with our great editors that when we shot season two, I think that we learned a lot from the previous season going in. So it really was helpful in making this season. And I'm really glad that, um, I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. We we shot a lot of even filthier things that didn't make it into <laughs> season two. But that's true. We didn't write stuff. We didn't there's stuff we didn't write in season two because we were all like, oh, we're gonna cut that anyway. We which we didn't we didn't know that the first season. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, I love the show. I think you're all terrific. I'm such a fan of all of you and and so just floored by the work you're doing. Come back after season three uh, so we can chat about that season. Please. Um, do we know when that's airing yet? Has that been announced? No. No? Okay. All right. Um, we'll wrap up as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved ones, and each other? Um, and Paul, let's start with you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a Virgo and How To With John Wilson. I think I just can't stop thinking about them. I think they're so singularly creative and weird and insightful and heartbreaking while being so entertaining. I just love those shows. And then I just started watching uh, Moonlighting, um, which my comfort watch with my wife is usually Murder, She Wrote. And it's amazing that those shows were basically happening at the exact same time, 84 and 85 they started. And Moonlighting is, I'm just a little bit into it. There's some stuff that doesn't work nowadays, but there's so many moments that are like so, it's so weird and so many lines and little physical moments that are just incredible. Um, yes, yeah, that's what I'm watching. <laughs> that is, that's a great answer. Uh, Hannah, what are you watching? Uh, Mother, God, Cult, uh, the cult documentary i love any sex cult i love any cult documentary uh so that's what i just finished i have highbrow stuff too but i'll just leave it at that but listen the the answer i get on this most often is like real housewives or something like that so yeah don't worry about highbrow. <laughs> uh bridget what are you watching these days oh god i can't remember anything's called so i'll tell you the ones i do remember <laughs> um i've been i just finished watching succession thank you very much um and Right before that, I watched Better Call Saul start to finish um, with my friend uh, Dan Finnery, the Dan band. Like we were watching sort of in tandem and then I got my friend Zach to watch it so we could all talk about it. Um, that's such a, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little behind the times and you know what? You see, it's hard to, you know, you know the spoilers and like, I don't remember anything, but I somehow remember the spoilers. <laughs> but I still enjoy it. It's fun to, it's fun to watch some uh, big shows and see what they, what they do and what they can what they get away with. Um, thank you all so much um, and come back anytime. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you, you too. You're the best, thank you. Thank you, Ben.